if you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie show. Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. Today's show is another in our series on African Americans in lacrosse. Many may not understand why I have started this series on African-Americans in the history of lacrosse, but it goes back to my childhood when there were very few people who looked like me playing the game. I can remember seeing James Ford, a graduate of Hempstead High School who played for Tom Hayes at Rutgers. African-American Albert Bray also played at Rutgers, where he was a two-time sports standout in both lacrosse and football from 1979 to 1983. Ray earned All-American honors in three of his four years, including first and second team. In 1982, he was selected as Rutgers' most outstanding male student-athlete. He was also the recipient of the William Miller Trophy, honoring the lacrosse team's most outstanding player his senior year. In football, Ray was the team's top rushing leader for three seasons from 1979 through 1981 and earned all East honors. Today, Ray is a member of the Rutgers Athletic Hall of Fame and the Long Island Lacrosse Hall of Fame. The feeling of identification that I could do that too meant so much to me as a young player. If you can't see yourself in the game, it's hard for you to imagine playing at the next level. So seeing people made a huge difference. More people need to know about the legacy. In history, we call these things gaps, that when you write and publish books, you often are publishing areas where there are gaps in the knowledge so that you do research and you find out this hasn't been written yet. So that's what you pick up when you start writing. My work has evolved in that way. Similar, I know that there is a gentleman who played at the University of Virginia. I believe this is before the 1950s. I saw an article on him. I can't remember, but I hope this will trigger somebody to go do the research, particularly if you're a UVA alumni. But I can only imagine what it was like to be at a Southern school as an African-American playing the game, was a pioneer at UVA. John Christmas and others that came after him. If you can think of other college players that you saw, because in our game, though we have pro lacrosse and we have a U.S. national team, for many of us, getting on a top college team, no matter what division it is, is in many ways, I think, still the pinnacle of our success. And what happens when you are able to play in college, get that education, and literally change the trajectory of your family tree. I am, in my family, the first to get a college degree, the first one to get a graduate degree, and it has made all the difference. It just means that much and why I took the time to do this series. So I hope that those of you out there are listening finding out now the rationale for this series. 
A native of Huntington, New York on Long Island, Bill Day is a childhood friend of UMass All-American and Hall of Famer Mark Millen. Day would go on to attend the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where he played lacrosse in the 1990s. During his time at UNC, the team won four ACC championships, appeared in four Final Fours, and won the national championship in 1991. After graduation, they played professional indoor and outdoor lacrosse and would go on to serve as the Boston Cannons head coach for six years, leading the team to postseason play in four of the six years. In 2011, the Boston Cannons won the Major League Lacrosse Championship, the first in franchise history. Day's honors include All-ACC Tournament Team in 1992, MLL All-Star Game appearances as both a player and a coach, and the Coach of the Year in the MLL in 2011. That's today on the Fred Opie Show, the oral history of Bill Day. I am from Huntington, New York, Long Island, Suffolk County. I started playing lacrosse in eighth grade, played baseball since I was uh, seven or eight years old, and actually a good friend of mine, Mark Millen, put a lacrosse stick in my hand one day when I was over his house, and uh, we had a catch out in his backyard, and I uh, just said I should play, and um, that was it. We actually played Little League Baseball together, and we were in the same school system. You know, when, when you're young, you go over to someone's house and, and, and play. A lot of time at his house, actually, during school, middle school, and then high school. What other sports did you play besides lacrosse? Baseball, football, a little bit of basketball, CYO. I played basketball through my sophomore year in high school. I wrestled a little bit. Pretty much my parents just try to put me in as many sports as possible just to keep me busy, keep me off the streets. You know, baseball was so ingrained, you know, because I played for so long. But what really made me switch was when I switched from Little League to Babe Ruth and just went to that larger field, extra distance from the mound to home plate. I struggled hitting. I went from being on every all-star team up until 12th grade. My actually team, uh, we were pretty close to getting to Williamsport, Pennsylvania when I was 12 to Babe Ruth and just really losing my skills. So I got stuck on the bench because I couldn't hit. And then I was getting put into the outfield, you know, and, and just uh, swatting at flies and mosquitoes and gnats. Um, basically what sealed my fate was when, um, there was a, a, a fly ball hit to left field and I was playing left and everyone knows the rule of thumb when you're playing in the outfield. You know what that is? No. Always take two steps back to adjust to a fly ball. What did I do? I came sprinting in and then all of a sudden I was like, Oh snap. And then I turned <laughs> around and tried to sprint back to catch up with it. And the ball went over my head and, and that was it. And then, you know, my coach yelled at me, and I was like, this is it. I'm done. And that's when I started playing lacrosse. So, when did uh, lacrosse become, wow, not only do I love this sport, but I could play in college? I want to say I was my, my freshman year in high school. Both the JV and varsity teams went up to watch Army. But I remember seeing Danny Williams running long pole. You know, and that was like the first time I seen someone who looked like me 
at the collegiate level playing, you know, and I was like, wow, that's, you know, I was like, okay. And then I just started watching it. You know, it wasn't on TV as much back then as it is now, obviously, but, you know, I started watching it and just getting more involved. Everything coaches say today, the more you have your stick in your hand, the better lacrosse player you're going to be. That's, that's what I did. I just picked up the stick every single day until I got confidence and um, made some uh, Empire States team. I was an alternate my sophomore year in high school. That's when, you know, coaches started looking at me. And then my junior year, I uh, I actually made alternate again. Didn't, didn't make the team, but, you know, that's when I had a lot of interest in playing. I could play at the next level. Let's clarify for those listening. He didn't make the Empire State team. But if you make the Empire State team on Long Island, you basically made the U.S. national team at that age level. Ex- explain to people what I mean by that. The talent pool is just ridiculous. We always say that we could probably field two or three U.S. teams, and it, it was the same thing. I mean, those tryouts were insane. This was before club lacrosse. At tryouts, the sidelines were lined with college coaches, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. That's where they were, watching these tryouts. That was your audition for getting recruited. The fact that I could go and play at that level and almost make the team, that's where I started getting the calls and the letters from coaches and, you know, asking if I wanted to attend, you know, a recruiting trip, go from there. Talent was just insane. I'll never forget. It was fun. Billy Day is not only an African-American who played the game of lacrosse at a very high level, but he's a unicorn because he's a black dude that jumped in the goal. So, so <laughs> please explain to me, how did you get duped, tricked, or purchased to play goalie? Because that's the only way they could have got me in there. Uh, it's funny. Uh, well, we needed a goalie freshman year. I used to play street hockey, and I would jump in the goal. You know, you had those those big Milek pads and chest protector and all the equipment, and I just loved flopping around and making kick saves and stuff like that. I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. I actually had every single piece of padding you could imagine. <laughs> King guards, knee pads, cut-off football pants with thigh pads in them, chest protector, arm pads, gloves, helmet, my stick. I just... Stop the ball any way I could. If it was if it was with a foot or a leg, that's how I made save. Our JV team actually my freshman year we were eight eighteen and three, very good team. And then my uh, sophomore year I got called up to varsity and backed up, played a little long pole. And then my junior year I backed up race service again and went on to, to play at UMass and I played midi. And then my senior year I started in goal and then I also played man up. So I would come out of the goal and, and grab a short stick and go play a man up, and Mark would feed me the ball. I had about, I think, 15 or 16 goals my senior year. Now, this is funny. I didn't know this. I did the same thing. I was a high school attackman, and I played man up, man down. Or When I went to Herkimer, I played man yeah. up. So I would play with a long pole the whole game, and then when there was a penalty, I would go play man up. Did you play with a long pole or did you play with a short stick? Play, play with a shorty because, you know, I was a high school attackman. Probably know the name Jose Oliverio, a goalie from West Point. You know that name? Yes, I do. Jose used to come out and take face-offs when he was at West Point because I grew up watching him. So he would take the face-offs, and then uh, as soon as they got possession because he, he really never lost a face-off, 
then he would go jump back in the goal. I did not know that about you. So there's a guy named Steve Mavis who grew up in Croton, where I grew up, played at Kutztown State, and he moved on to my block where I lived when I think I was ninth, 10th grade, and that's when my game took off. Steve took me in his yard and taught me everything. That was the difference. All of a sudden, my game just elevated. Was there somebody like that that worked with you as a goalie? Actually, no. You know, hmm. I just I just took it upon. I mean, I would go up and get suited up and take take shots. Mark would shoot on me. I mean, you know, that's how tight we, we, we were. He would help me. But no one really taught me how to play the position. It was just sort of figured it out on my own. I watched a lot of many games as I could. Went to games. I went to Hofstra games. But, I mean, I just watched a lot of college across. So I watched goalies and as as many games as I could and then just figured it out. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. The best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend Share the show on Facebook and Twitter or send them to our website at fredopi.com. Nationwide, Harlem Lacrosse transforms the lives of student athletes from low income neighborhoods. Harlem Lacrosse students receive hundreds of hours of quality training on the field, in school support, and other resources year round and for free. The result is that students improve their fitness, lacrosse skills, grades, and get on a trajectory for a successful future. To learn more and get involved, go to harlemlacrosse.org. If you have had success in something, do you know why? Or is it an accident? Can you repeat it? Well, I had to start thinking about that in my life. If I've had some success, to what do I attribute that success? I concluded that my success came down to what I call my Super 7. The seven principles have been the formula for success that I developed to thrive on and off the field. If you apply these principles, you'll see that they are universal and you can use them in all areas of your life. The book will be available in March. Pre-order a copy of the Super 7 as a paperback book for $9.99 and receive three CD recordings of my live events worth $15. That's a $25 offer for $9.99. Go to our online store at fredopiespeaks.com and order it now. Our scripture of the day is Philippians 3.17. Join together and follow my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all people can stand adversity, but if you want to test a person's character, give them power. When you narrowed down your school, what were the final schools? Where'd you go on visits? And ultimately, why UNC Chapel Hill? End of junior year, we got some visits and stuff like that. But it was really your senior years when you took the um, you took your trips, and I was being recruited heavily by 
Coach Pressler at OWU, every week I had a letter from him, handwritten. Hofstra, Coach Donowski, University of Virginia, Coach Caravana was was the one who was really heading up that, and then uh, North Carolina. My parents are from Durham, North Carolina. I have family down there, so I only went on one trip. Hmm. I was to North Carolina. That that just happened to be my first trip. I was supposed to go to Virginia. The week after, I actually verbally committed to North Carolina uh, after my weekend down there, and I didn't even take my trip to to Virginia. And that was it. Pictured myself being a Tar Heel, but it was for for football, not lacrosse. When the opportunity presented itself, and Coach Scroggs made me an offer right there, I. I said, yes, sir, I want to be a Tar Heel. And that was it. What was your major at Carolina? I was an industrial re- relations major. And how did you come to uh, choose that? I wanted to get into business school, and I just uh, I didn't have the work ethic back then to do that. So it was sort of the next next best thing. It was kind of a, you know, I had some business and classes, stuff like that, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do back then. Some friends were taking it, so I took it as well. And at the end of the day, it didn't really determine what I did professionally. And tell me about your, your transition academically and uh, athletically. Were you prepared? Uh, that's a big fat no. The biggest thing is when you go from being a high school student and going home to your parents every day and, and having structure to then going down to school where you're pretty much, when you're not with the team, then you're on your own. That was a big adjustment for me. And my first semester freshman year really was not a great academic year for me. I took a step back and, and took some accountability. I took advantage of the tools that we had with tutors and, and you know athletics uh, had their own study hall and stuff like that and, and really got got back on the right foot definitely took some time to to adjust to time management you know outside of um, outside of you know when you're with the team on the field or in the weight room that was an adjustment for me so it took about a full semester and then I got got things going the right way. What about on the field? Tell me about that adjustment. Probably the biggest thing was, you know, speed. Just the speed of the game, speed of the shots. I would say my freshman year, it took a while to to get to where Coach Scroggs felt I should have been sooner. My sophomore year is when when I really figured it out. When you're playing in high school, you have maybe three or four guys who are excellent players and then you have the rest of the guys who are good good players at school when I got down to Carolina everyone was a, an excellent player adjusting to the bigger faster stronger shots shot speed and it, it definitely took a full year for me what was it like to play for Hall of Famer Willie Scroggs he's a great motivator he was different than when he recruited you to when he got you on the field. You didn't know how to how to react to that. I only played for him for one year because after my freshman year is when he stepped down. I learned a lot about 
myself because of just how he expectations he had for me and, and how he challenged me every day on the field. And that, you know, I think he was the reason why I was able to come back so confidently in my sophomore year, for sure. I'm fascinated with how our generation and the generation before us played off ball. Playing off ball is an art. And I know you've been a player and you've also been a coach at a very high level. Talk to me about the art of playing off ball in lacrosse, but also in life. What does that mean to you when I ask that question? Huh, that's, that's a good question. Playing off ball and, and, and lacrosse is just being smart and, and understanding your surrounding, what the defense is doing, and, and how you can take advantage of it and, and, and put yourself in a, in a position to capitalize on it. And, the first time something like that's been asked to me and how I relate it to life. Having just said that, it's it's same thing when you're you know, how can you put yourself in a in a position to be successful? Similar question is um getting the green light. You know, people talk about that with movies. But the concept of getting the green light is so relevant when it when you talk about sports. You talked about that transition from your freshman to your sophomore year where you really started to, to step it up. But I think it's also similar in life. You know, when do you give the green light, whether it's your kid, when do you give them the green light, whether it's somebody who works for you? And again, you've been a player and you've been a coach. How does one get the green light? You get the green light when you realize that, um, you know, you hold yourself accountable for your actions and you realize what your actions can do in the big picture and how that can help or hurt the team, the team you're playing on or the the team you work for. When you uh, exalt confidence and, and people are confident in your ability, then you have that opportunity to get the green light. You work for Nike. You have a job and a title that I think most in our tribe would covet for sure. Tell us what you do for Nike and how you got that opportunity. So I am a a sales director uh, for Nike Team. And basically we are tasked with putting on swish on every high school athlete across the country. I manage the... uh, eastern part of the country when it comes to uh, our high school attack. And then I also work um, as a liaison with our collegiate sports marketing and uh, basketball and football sports marketing team. So I'm involved in, in, in putting together collegiate sponsorship deals at the mid-major level and down. I got my foot in the door, very fortunate to um, start working for Nike back in September 2000. 11, in a lacrosse position. A good friend of mine, Joe, Joe Taylor, hired me. I worked in the lacrosse category for about six years and then got the opportunity to move into the team division. have been there ever since and uh, worked for a great brand, a great company. can take some sort of that competitiveness you had playing and you know, sort of relate it to your everyday job where you want to go out and win and you want to beat the competition, it's great working for the Swoosh. Folks, that is Billy Day, 
a former UNC Tar Heel, as I mentioned, a pioneer in the game, uh, certainly between the pipes. Bill, thanks so much for joining us and letting people know a little bit about your oral history. Thanks for having me, Fred. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com 